Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy you're joining us today. Thank you, everybody, for submitting your questions. We have some good ones today, I'm sure, although I don't know what they are. That's right. I never tell you. you my wife never tells me. She reads through all the questions herself and then springs them on me because I, li <laughs> I like to have my answers be spontaneous. Yep. Sometimes, does it get me in trouble? I don't know. I think it, it works. I, you know, I can remember all the way back to one of our first times ever speaking to an audience about like marital chastity and uh -huh. somebody asked a question and, oh, I just felt so nervous because if I were the one trying to answer the question, I would not have known what to say. And I, I remember seeing you shine in really giving a great answer. And it, it just has always been a thing I admire that you can well, just thanks. answer it, questions it on the spot. It does point to our our differences, doesn't yeah, it? It does. That you you like preparation yeah. for these kind of things and I like the spontaneity. You know, a funny thing is we often say, you know, that if if you're a podcast listener and you see us in real life, tell us that you listen to the podcast. So that has been such a blessing to meet different people who listen. But sometimes our podcast listeners will ask me a question. <laughs> hoping I'll have something <laughs> profound to say. And there I am on the spot. And I Unprepared. really, yeah, I really do need reflection isn't that, time. Isn't that interesting? You, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I necessarily need it with like my good friends, although even there, I think I sometimes stumble a little and then kind of call them later yeah. with thoughts, you You're know, a reflector, you re you process things. I, I do have to think for a while. Time. Yeah. So it always kind of embarrasses me when a, a podcast listener says, oh, here's my question. I'm asking you in person. <laughs> and I think, oh, no. <laughs> well, Maybe if we sat down with that person together, I could go first. Yeah. And, and then, then you would have the time to think through right. kind of like what we do here. Exactly. That would be good. Do you have any uh, updates for us from the TV Institute? We have a Way of Beauty course coming up online taught by Bill Dunahee. Check out the link below for all of our courses, both online and in person. Bill Dunahee, my dear colleague at the TOB Institute, he has such a gift for seeing the beauty in all of creation and helping his students to see the world in a different way. Mm -hmm. it, it has really helped me and blessed me. He and I are kind of two peas in a pod there, but he has his own angle. Like he, he will be in awe of spider webs or, you know, things that I would just be like, whatever. But, <laughs> He's like, no, there's mystery here. And I, I mean, I'm, I, I have entered into these mysteries myself enough to say, okay, I get that you appreciate spider webs in a way that I don't. And I, I can reverence that. But he, the point is, everybody's going to love this class. It's the way of beauty, theology, the body and art. And it will open your heart to seeing God in all things everywhere, because guess what? He is in all things, and He is everywhere, and He created everything to reveal His own mystery. That's the very principle of theology of the body. At the, the source and summit of our faith 
is the revelation of God in a piece of bread that's no longer a piece of bread. It's his body mm-hmm. given up for us. So creation itself, there, there again, wheat and grapes, we, we crush them, we bake them, we ferment them, we put them on an altar, and the fertility of creation becomes the fertility of Mary's womb. Astounding, absolutely astounding. This is the principle of sacramentality, and this Way of Beauty course is all about that. So check it out. You're, you're not going to want to miss it. Mm. With that, should I give you our first Let's patron question? This is... Our first question from a patron. Exactly not to be confused so. with our first patron question, which would make one think that all of our questions come from patrons. But you they are don't. correct. <laughs> See, I'm a stickler for words. You're not missing a beat I'm here. Not mis- well, I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> In order to say to all of our listeners out there, most people know this, but if you don't, if you want a better chance of having Wendy and me answer one of your questions, uh, consider becoming a patron of the Tube Institute. We have lots of ongoing formation and benefits for our patrons. One of the benefits is you can submit your question there and you're in a much smaller pool. So here we go. Our first question from a patron. It is from a patron. Do we have a patron? Do we have a name for our patron? Robbie. Hello, Robbie. Thanks for being a patron. Robbie says, hi, Christopher and Wendy. First, thank you so much for your ministry. Your faithfulness has been truly life-changing. Wow, that's so good to hear. I'm a former Protestant pastor. Wow, bless you, brother. Who entered full communion with the church this Easter. Whoop, 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 whoop. With my wife and three children. That's awesome. Wow, what a story you must have. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because you're interrupting me so much. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop Robbie, here we go. This is Robbie speaking. I tell people all the time that Theology of the Body has been the most transformational teaching of the church. And now, as a result of our hearts being transformed by God's grace, we're expecting our fourth child. Awesome, Robbie. I'm not interrupting my wife. I'm just saying that's awesome. Yes. Now to my question. I've really been wrestling and praying about the recent Supreme Court ruling regarding Roe versus Wade. I believe it is something to be celebrated for sure. But I'm also very much aware that the decision causes hurt and fear in the hearts of many women. The Sunday after the decision came out, I was praying the rosary, and I had a thought. It came to my heart and my mind that Mary herself is a woman who found herself in an unplanned pregnancy. Of course, she consented to bringing Jesus into the world through her body, but as a consecrated virgin... She never planned that for herself. Mm, Interesting. In that moment, I felt led to entrust to Mary all the women who feel hurt and fearful because of the overturning of Roe. And then, and this is the crux of my question, I envisioned placing these women's hopes and fears into the womb of Mary. Mm. I've been praying with this image of placing these hopes and fears into Mary's womb. And I'm trying to understand the depth of that image. Mm. Does theology of the body have anything to contribute to the fullness of this image? Robbie, wow. Wow, brother, I am really moved by your heart and what you have shared here about your reaction to this news. I agree there is cause for celebration, but I also felt it was interesting when that announcement came through. Uh, at the end of June, I was teaching 
uh, the, a theology of the body class, TOB1, and I was teaching specifically that morning, it was Friday morning, and on Friday morning of TOB1, we go through Humanae Vitae, uh, St. Paul VI encyclical letter of human life, which reaffirms the Church's constant teaching on the immorality of rendering the sexual act sterile. And it was very interesting that right at this point, as I'm teaching this, somebody got a text from a friend and announced it to the room that uh, Roe, v. Wade, Roe v. Wade had been overturned. And there was immediate shouts of joy and applause. And I was like, whoa, 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 yes, yes, okay, let's celebrate what is to be celebrated here, but let's not go too far here. Uh, let's recognize this is... This is a victory of, of sorts, yes, we need to fight for good laws against abortion, and this is a just law, this is a, an appropriate law. Uh, however, we all know that laws in and of themselves do not change human hearts, and what Christ is after is really the, the conversion of our hearts. And because of these unconverted hearts, I think this is what Robbie is feeling, he's feeling the the, the the pain of these unconverted hearts, and he's feeling pain because these hearts are unconverted. And Robbie, I think you you were just following the Spirit there. I really believe you were. There is no better thing to do for these women who are distressed at the overturn of Roe v. Wade to place them, their hopes, their dreams, their concerns, their fears, their anxieties, to place their entire lives through intercession, in the womb of the Blessed Virgin. What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, here we are following Christ himself in his conversation with Nicodemus. Recall what Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you are born again. And Nicodemus says, well, can a mother re-enter, or excuse me, can a person re-enter his mother's womb? And interestingly, Jesus does not say no. But he rather, he raises the conversation to a whole new dimension. He says, Nicodemus, if you don't understand the natural reality, you're never going to understand the supernatural reality. There's a supernatural reality here. If we are to be regenerated, born again in order to enter the kingdom, this means God's going to be our father and Mary's going to be our mother. We go the way Christ went. God becomes our father, Mary becomes our mother. Mm. And that means, spiritually speaking, in a supernatural order, we are regenerated in Mary's womb. St. Louis de Montfort says that in order to be formed into Christ, we should place ourselves in the very place where Christ was formed. That's Mary's womb. And so long as we do not resist the operation of grace, we will be transformed into other Christs. He also says that because Christ the Redeemer dwells within Mary's womb, when we place our base metals, this is his own imagery, uh, Louis de Montfort's imagery, when we place our base metals, meaning our broken humanity, our sinful humanity, all of our pride, all of our fears, everything that makes up our, our fallen reality, when we place our base metals in this furnace of love that is Mary's womb, Christ melts down those base metals and transforms them into gold. 
So th that's metaphorical imagery that, that is trying to get us into a profound, profound supernatural truth. Does theology of the body shed any light on this? Absolutely. Uh, theology of the body, there is no theology of the body without the Word made flesh in the womb of the Virgin. Uh, as John Paul II says, if it seems strange to speak of the body as a theology, it shouldn't if we believe in the Incarnation. For through the fact that the Word of God became flesh, and I'll add here, obviously, in the womb of the Virgin, J.P. Dew doesn't say that specifically, but it's implied, by virtue of the fact that the Word of God became flesh in the womb of the Virgin, Christ, or excuse me, the body entered theology through the main door. That main door is the womb of Mary, right? One of her titles is Gate of Heaven. Christ came to open the gates of heaven. Why, why do we describe Mary as the gate of heaven? What is heaven? Is it the dwelling place of the Lord? What did Mary's body become? If Christmas is real, if the incarnation really happened, Mary's body became heaven on earth. And this is why, this is why Satan hates woman's body, and in particular why he hates woman's womb. Uh, it's right there in Genesis chapter 3 where God says to Satan, I will put enmity, hatred that is, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Satan hates woman's ability to bear offspring. Why? Because woman's ability to bear offspring brought into the world the one who crushed the head of Satan. And Satan is an anti-Christ from the beginning. He is the one who denies Christ come in the flesh. He's the great dragon in the book of Revelation who wants to devour the child the moment it's born, right? And that child is the Christ, right? So Satan's goal, we could say, is to turn the womb, the place of life, into a tomb, place of death. But here's the good news of the gospel. Christ came into the world to transform the tomb, the place of death, back into a womb, mm. the place of life. And so he says, follow me, be regenerated, be born again. This is what the Paschal mystery is all about. This is what the theology of our bodies reveal. Our, our, our bodies tell the story as male and female that God loves us, wants to marry us, wants to become one in the flesh with us, and he wants the bride to conceive eternal life. This is our faith, and it's not just a metaphor. There was a woman who walked this planet who gave her yes to God's marriage proposal with such fidelity and totality that she literally conceived eternal life in her womb. Again, that is why the spiritual battle is focused right there. The overturn of Roe v. Wade is not... Uh, it's not time to take a vacation. It's not like we've achieved our, our ultimate victory here. The ultimate victory is when the world comes to see the mystery of God revealed through the human body as male and female. Mm. And what we have done in the modern world is we, we have accepted a paradigm, a vision of the body uh, that is blind to the mystery of God revealed through it. Uh, as Jesus says, we look, but we do not see. 
The invitation of the gospel right out of the mouth of Jesus is to come and become one who sees. Sees what? Sees how all of creation, especially the human body, male and female, reveals the mystery of the living God and his plan for humanity. Only when all humanity, only when all flesh, as Scripture says, sees the salvation of God revealed through the human body, can we then really and truly rejoice? And that's why I kind of put the brakes a little bit. I, I, of course, there's a place to rejoice in the victory of Roe v. Wade, uh, uh, excuse me, in the overturn of Roe v. Wade. But um, yeah, I, I put the brakes on my students rejoicing a little bit because we're not there. We're not there. We're not at the time of real rejoicing. Real rejoicing will only come when all humanity, all flesh, sees the glory of God revealed through our creation as male and female. I'm struck, too, by Robbie's um, just seeing the humanity. and Of these and, women, yeah. Yes, of those who are upset. Yes. And, you know, you could describe them as as angry, and yet behind anger is, is pain. pain. And I see yeah. Robbie seeing them in in pain and what kind of pain, you know, fear. Um, I think that's just beautiful insights right there. Just that being in touch with the Holy Spirit to kind of see with God's eyes, what's, you know, the, the essential goodness of human beings and how suffering and, um, lies and things get in the way and, and can cause these reactions that don't rejoice in the good. You know, and yet there's such a a goodness to really not just pray for people, kind of check that box, but to sit with it and to really um, desire the true good, um, and and to recognize that it's a process, and to desire all of that process to happen. Thinking about Mary's womb, um, I just. I'm reminded of something I read several years ago about describing motherhood as creating a space for another human being to grow. And that meaning, of course, in the womb, a baby grows, but like in a more general way, creating space in Beautiful. our lives, Beautiful. you know, in our hearts, in our ways of treating people that allows them to grow. And I, I see that like on a supernatural level that Mary is the one who can do that for all these hurting people. So beautiful, beautiful. It's, it is very, it's touching to our hearts to hear Robbie's reflection. Thank you for sending that in. It reminds me of uh, something I'll share briefly from John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility, where he he, he talks about the meaning of the word matrimony. Mm -hmm. If you pick that word apart, matrimony, it means the call to motherhood. And, and it's a specific call, you would think, for the women who are to be mothers, but John Paul says it's a specific call for men to recognize the dignity of motherhood, that their sexual behavior with the woman they claim to mm -hmm. love can make her a mother, mm -hmm. right? That's matrimony, the call to motherhood, the call to, of men to honor the fact that sexual relations mm -hmm. can make a woman a mother, and obviously a man a father. And that only matrimony, truly understood and authentically lived, 
meaning that true honoring, the true reverence for the fact that the woman is particularly vulnerable here in the sexual relationship. Only true matrimony, only true reverence for that mystery of motherhood really takes that fear away from the woman of, of what can happen to her in a sexual relationship. She has much more to risk here. But in the modern world, women have traded in this right to be honored in matrimony, in reverence for motherhood, they've traded that in for a pill of goods, shall we say, uh, by embracing a, a, a paradigm of contraception and abortion as the protection in sexually active relationships. And, and what we have now is not protection at all. These things that claim to liberate women, contraception and abortion, John Paul II says, have they liberated women? Or have they enslaved women to the lusts of men, to become objects for the lusts of men? I think the real rage and the real anger and the real pain that these women feel is that they're treated as things by, by the sexual lusts of, me, of men. And, and rather than say, treat me with respect and honor, which is matrimony, instead they've traded that God-given right for this deceptive illusion that I can protect myself through contraception, and if that fails, abortion. And it seems to them like the government is now taking away the only, quote, protection they have from, from being treated this way. Uh, what is really needed is the conversion of men and women to respect and honor matrimony, the call to motherhood. Mm. Mary, Mother of God, please, please pray for us that, that this world would come to respect and honor matrimony, the call to motherhood, so fully and beautifully revealed in you, Mary. Thank you, Robbie, for your question. Our next question is from a listener named Tom. Hey, Tom. Christopher and Wendy, to put it short, your podcast has been an absolute blessing to me. Keep doing what you're doing. Hooray. I'm a single Catholic man, age 31, trying to keep putting God first every day as we all do. I'm a high school teacher by profession. I do not at this moment feel called to the religious life, but rather to marriage. My question is, in general, do you think people should always be actively seeking either a religious vocation or the vocation to marry until it is attained, or that it may be wise to let this question rest for a time while trying to do other good things and not pursuing the vocation actively. I've been checking out various dating sites and sometimes wonder if the time spent there could not have been used in some other good way. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Tom, I, I really appreciate your reflective heart here. Uh, I first want to say I'm, I'm just edified by hearing a young guy like you giving your life to, to be a teacher in a high school. That's awesome. Uh, young people desperately need the role models of, of men. So thanks for doing that. I, I think you're, you're getting at an important truth here that uh, what comes to my mind as I, I hear your question, and I'm not sure this is where you're coming from, 
But I know in a lot of younger people that I talk to who are still discerning their vocation, there can be a, a lot of anxiety around finding that vocation. And they can, they can waste a lot of time and energy fretting in their quest. Now, of course, we, we have to take steps. And uh, if you're saying, I hope to be married, then, you know, I, I, you, you, it's not wrong at all to, to put yourself out there and let the world know that you're wanting to be married and go to where marriageable women might be found. And that's all fine and good. But I, I, I want to commend you also for recognizing that, that that's not always the right approach. Um, I think it's fine and good and right to just get on with your life and to trust that the Lord's going to reveal in His way and His time what your, what your calling is. And if you're called to marriage, uh, you can trust that the Lord in one way or another is, is going to bring the right person into your life. Um, again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't take active steps like dating sites or hanging out with young adult groups or, or what have you to find, to make yourself, you know, just to increase the chances you might find somebody to marry. Uh, that's, that's cooperating and, and acting along with the Lord. It would be foolish to say, I want to be married, but then lock yourself in your house um, and <laughs> never get out and never meet people. So there's a balance in all of this, and I just want to say, I, sh I think you're doing just fine. Mm, I totally agree with that, and I'm just, you know, sensing, too, that um, there are so many ways that the Lord is revealing His um, His grace to us and healing us or training us in things that, that He desires for us to grow in, and a lot of that can happen when you're pursuing your interests and, and serving others, and as Tom put it, doing other good things, yeah. that there's a there's a growth in your personal humanity that is, I'm sorry, there's a personal growth in your humanity that is preparing you more to be a gift to others, yes. including to a spouse. But it's important to reflect, we're not only a gift to our spouse or to our religious vocation like we're we're a gift yes and yes. you're being a gift and i think that's beautiful beautiful tom keep going brother our next question is from an anonymous listener i have an understanding of god's tremendous love and mercy but in my weakness i feel constantly attacked by my sexual past mm. i know god has forgiven my sin but my body still remembers the sensations mm. of sexual pleasure. Mm. I have these pornographic images in my mind. Sometimes I have sexual dreams that make me feel terrible. And I even notice that I can't help looking at other people and thinking about them erotically. I get so upset at myself. I feel like these things happen without me wanting them to. How did you get healed from your sexual past? And what should I do? Well, bless you, dear brother or sister, whoever you are out there. Um, one word stood out to me in your question that I would like to change 
uh, how did you get healed? I, I wouldn't say I got healed. Healing is an ongoing reality. I'm I'm thirty something years, thirty two years, almost th yeah, thirty two years into an active participation in God's grace in my life and seeking healing. But that healing is is ongoing, and I think just out of realism we have to acknowledge that. Uh, I have been given many, many graces here, and I've made great progress, thanks be to God, but I would never claim it's, it's done. Uh, life has taught me that the healing goes on. What comes to my mind in, in a way to respond to your question is to invite you to learn more about the healing of memories. Mm. And there are some, some good books that I would recommend, one by Dr. Bob Schutz called Be Healed. Um, Bob Schutz is a dear friend, and he does wonderful work. I would even encourage you to look into some of the healing workshops that they offer through the John Paul II uh, Healing Center in Florida. Uh, we'll have the link to that in the show notes. I would strongly recommend that you also look into the work of Andrew Kamiski and his ministry called Desert Stream. They have a program called Living Waters that takes you through a several-week journey of deep inner healing. Uh, I, I've been through their training, and we have had them come to teach for the Institute, Andrew Kamiski and his team, and in fact, Mark your calendars. I believe it's at the end of January, maybe the first week of February, that we are having Andrew Comiskey and his team from Desert Stream Ministries back to the Theology of the Body Institute to offer a five-day course called uh, Sexual Healing and Integration. So please consider that. Uh, that will be up on our website probably in the next couple months. We'll have that posted. Uh, but in the meantime, look up some of Andrew Comiskey's work. Uh, one book I've read of, of Andrew's that I found very good is called Naked Surrender, Coming Home to Our True Sexuality. Uh, that would give you some beautiful light into your own journey of healing, I'm sure. But when I say healing of memories, let me tell you just briefly what I mean. I, I thought to bring this up because of, of your question and how you, you phrased it and you said, you still have memories of the sexual pleasure. You, you, and, and you also said you don't want them. That is a sign of, that healing has already been taking place, that mm. you are already on the journey of healing, that your desires themselves are being transformed, but the memories remain. And these memories, they, they go deep, deep, deep in the psyche. And what we can do with those painful memories, and, and this is not to be taken lightly, it's not something to jump into uh, willy-nilly, it, it's something you have to let the Lord lead you into, because if you go poking around in these memories by yourself, it can stir up things that you don't know how to deal with. As my spiritual director says, we go within, meaning we go into our hearts, into these places, into these memories, we go within only with Him. I'll, I'll tell you an experience that I have had. Uh, this was maybe five years ago or so. 
I was leading a pilgrimage to Rome. And on the way back from this pilgrimage to Rome, I was in the airport for uh, an extended time because my flight was delayed. I think I had to wait in the airport for eight hours or something. And at this point, I had been away from my wife for 10 days or more. I was lonely. I was eager to get home. I was kind of depressed that my flight got delayed by eight hours. And I was in a very low place. And in this low place, I started having these temptations to look at people in the airport as objects for my pleasure. And it was a kind of, it was a pointed temptation that, by God's grace, is, is rather rare for me at this stage of my journey. But it, it kind of was like a wake-up call, like, whoa, what's going on in my head? What, why is this getting stirred up? What's going on in my heart? And I had, right as that, I said, what's going on? That was a prayer, like, Lord, what's going on in me? Right in that moment, this memory came back. I'm in eighth grade. I'm at, I'm raging hormones. And, and I invited this girl, I called this girl up. She and I had already had our kind of adolescent makeout session. And, uh, I, I was so aroused. I didn't know what to do with myself. I called this girl and I said, hey, can you meet me at the park? And I was up to no good in my intention here. And she said, are you crazy? It's raining. And she hung up the phone on me. And I felt so ashamed of, of this experience. The rejection was very painful, but I, I also, even though it was all screwed up, and I had very lustful intentions. I was up to no good, as I said. Nonetheless, I, I was putting myself out there in a vulnerable way, and the rejection was, was really, really painful. And this memory, I'm sitting in the airport in Rome, and this memory just lands on me, like, really forcefully. And I've, I've had that happen enough times at this point in my life that I knew the Lord was bringing this memory to me. And I heard him whispering in my heart, Bring this, bring this to Mary. Bring this memory to Mary. Again, I've been in this place many, many times where the Blessed Mother has played a role in helping me set aright my disordered attraction to women. Uh, guys, I'm telling you, all of your lustful attractions to women what you're really looking for. Remember, what is, what is sin? Sin is, is a twisting of a good. It is a, is a misdirected desire. There is some good in there that gets twisted up. The good that got twisted up is the longing for Mary. I, I, I know I'm, I'm thinking of the listeners out there, and I'm thinking they probably think this sounds utterly strange if you haven't been down this road a little bit. Just to plop it out there, you're looking, you're really looking for Mary could sound strange and odd, but she is what Jesus refers to as woman, right? She she's not just a woman, she's the woman. She is the archetype, she is the model of what woman is. I'm telling you guys, Mary contains all the treasures of femininity that we come to desire in a disordered way. And Mary, because she herself is fully redeemed, she knows how to help us set our desires aright, always leading us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, her son, to set aright the disordered desires in our heart. So there I am in the airport in Rome, 
I'm having this memory. I hear the whisper from the Lord, give it to Mary. Give that memory to Mary. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm not sure exactly what that means. But I say, I said, Mary, I give this memory to you when I called this girl and I felt so ashamed and so rejected and didn't know what to do with all these desires in my heart. And in giving it to Mary, I heard this feminine voice respond to me saying, I will meet you at the park. And I don't care that it's raining. I will meet you at the park and I will show you what you are really looking for. I will take those twisted desires that you wanted to aim at that teenage girl and I will help you give those twisted desires to my son and he will untwist them and you will discover through my beauty what you are really looking for. Again, I'd been on a journey long enough to know I wasn't making this up, and this really was the Blessed Mother inviting me into a deep healing and redemption. And over the course of the next three months or so, I was taken on a journey with the Blessed Mother into the mystery that is within her womb. I'm utterly convinced the reason men are so attracted to the female form is because, as I was saying earlier on this podcast, woman is a sign of heaven on earth, of heaven on earth. And it just so happened that at this park where I wanted to take this girl when I was a teenager, there was a big rose garden. Hmm. And, and in the reworking of the memories, Mary met me at the park in the rain, and she said, let's go into the rose garden. And Mary started walking me through the mysteries of the rosary in a way that I had never really entered in before. The mystery of the Annunciation. What happens? This is woman open to the infinite life of God. This is woman receiving in her very womb the infinite life of God. And Mary took me into that mystery in a way that brought healing to these very painful memories. And, and I became, in a sense, that Christ child within her womb. And I was received and welcomed and nourished and fed in these deepest in the deepest yearnings of my heart, setting aright these disordered desires. Now I could go on and on and on because this journaling through these memories went on, as I said, for about three months. But I'm just trying to paint kind of a in broad strokes a picture of what the healing of memories can look like. So I, I hope that's helpful to you. I have two more things to recommend, and then, Wendy, if you have anything you want to share. Okay. If, if, uh, if you would consider becoming a patron of the TOB Institute, we do have for our patrons uh, several retreats in the patron website, and two of them I will point you to. One is a retreat that Bob Schutz and I gave on sexual healing, and another retreat is one that I gave with Andrew Comiskey and a few others from his team at Desert Stream Ministries on sexual healing. Those two retreats for our patrons would be very good places for you to begin a journey into the healing of these memories. Wendy, what are your thoughts here? So many. It's really a, a powerful question. And so, uh, I don't know, just the fact that you shared um, 
sorry, not speaking to you, Christopher, but to our questioner, uh, so many details of kind of how present this struggle yes. is and in what different ways just spoke to my heart, like um, of just the sincerity of the kind of struggle that's going on. Yes. Um, and one of the things that, that struck me was when you said, um, I get so upset at myself. Hmm. And I just have a sense as we're looking at all of this, and we've certainly talked about this on other podcasts as well, that, you know, there is a spiritual battle that we're engaged in and in our bodies. And it's so kind of touching the way you even included in the question, my body remembers. Um, Just that um, to realize that it's not like, uh, you know, we are our bodies and it's really important to recognize that there's an attack against the truth and dignity of our bodies and of our sexuality. And your sexual past includes some real attacks against your dignity. Attacks meaning lies, twisted it up a ways of using your body and someone else's body that are kind of gripping you still to this day, even though it sounds like you're not actively living any of the, you know, the sexual behavior that you did in the past. So I guess what's striking me is when you said, I get so upset at myself, just to encourage you in that moment, that's, that can be an excellent flag. When you feel that I'm upset at myself, there is when you need to cry out to the one who made you and knows the great dignity that you have, and that Christ, who's actively working to heal you, wants you not to be upset at yourself, but upset at the evil one who's attacking you, and to call on him for his help in this battle, that you aren't supposed to fight it on your own. And you will just kind of stay in a place of no progress as long as you stay upset at yourself. Mm, mm. And if you can take that as a sign, not of failure, but of need, yes, you know, we're yes. humans, we need help. That in that moment, that if you can cry out to the Lord to please, you know, defeat Satan in my life right now, show me the truth of my dignity or show me the truth of these other people's dignity. And that's just a simple beginning prayer. And I know in this question, partly what you're getting at is, what are the other steps? And I feel like Christopher covered that so well, talking about a few different books and ministries and the concept of healing of memory. So all of that, I feel like, was covered. But I just wanted to go back to that that step, that moment of feeling upset and letting that really lead you to recognize there's an enemy out there and there's a Redeemer far more powerful than the enemy who's already at work in your life and is continuing to be at work. I'll point you to two more resources. Uh, These are two episodes of a podcast that I was part of with Bob Schutz and Jake Kim. Jake Kim is also a Catholic therapist and a, a dear friend. And I believe it's episodes 46 and 47 of their podcast called Restore the Glory. So uh, we will, we will, try to get the links to those episodes mm-hmm. in the show notes. Those yes. would be, uh, in those episodes, I, I go into much more detail about my own journey of healing in this regard. And mm. since part of the question was, 
how have I experienced mm -hmm. healing? Uh, both of those episodes, I think, were like hour-long conversations. So like two hours of content there where I unfold in much more detail some of my own journey. So mm -hmm. I hope those will be helpful. Yeah. We thank you all, everyone, for listening to this episode. If it blessed you, we encourage you to share it with someone else who you think will be blessed. That helps us to expand our audience and share this good news with a growing number of people. That's our desire here, to get this good news out to as many people as possible. And you're a great help in allowing that to happen. Keep the questions coming. If you're a patron, make sure you submit your question on the patron website. Uh, everyone else, keep those questions coming and we will get to them as we are able. Thank you for our patience for your patience with us. We get a lot of questions and we can't answer them all, but we are praying for all of you. Please know it deep in your hearts. We love you and you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.